Welcome to a new episode of Talking Rivals, a weekly show exploring everything about the best Cleveland rivalry in baseball. With your hosts, Patrick covering the Boston Red Sox and Chris covering the New York Yankees. And remember, you can catch us wherever you catch your podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Amazon as well. And you can follow us on Twitter at LiftoffJets. And Patrick, you can uh, follow him on Twitter at Patrick Trotty. And myself, you can catch me at CP7NY on Twitter. And you could also catch us on sportsinarium.com backslash player. That's Sportswire Radio. And you could follow the station manager there, Thomas Bryce, at Thomas Bryce 2017 for all the schedule. So, Patrick, how you doing, man? All-star break. Mm-hmm. I, think, uh, I think you guys needed it after this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am. I'm. We'll get into it, but I'm not good. It is closer to the Orioles than we are than, than Boston is to a playoff spot. I think the All-Star break, you said it right, the All-Star break couldn't come at a better time. I think for a lot of teams, unless you're uh, Seattle or the other team that's red hot, uh, Baltimore. Unless you're those two teams, you know, you don't want the all-star game to happen right now. But I would say the rest of the teams either get healthy or kind of hit the reset button. Yeah. And uh, it was – what were your thoughts on – before we get into the all-star weekend and kind of look forward to the second half, let's talk about the the series in, in Yankee Stadium in the Bronx this this past series, the last one of the, I guess it was, for me, it was obviously mixed at best. <laughs> yeah. And that's being optimistic. But <laughs> we'll, we'll start off with the good first. So we'll, we'll start off from the Yankees' point of view. Well, I mean, taking two out of three, I, I think that's all, that's all the Yankees got to do the rest of the way is just win series. You know, you don't have to sweep. If you take two out of three, three out of four, or if you split like we did last weekend, then that's good, right? The, the other teams are not gaining on you, and you got such a big lead, you don't have to. I mean, you're already running away with the division, so they have to catch us, you know, everybody else. So I think when you take two out of three, that's great. I would love to have swept because that first game was frustrating because they had how many chances to put more points on the board and they just couldn't do it. Um, that that Friday night game was. It was like it was being played in 2021 and 2020. That was the Yankees from the last couple of years where they couldn't get it done with runners in scoring position. Um, yeah, regardless of the score, though, I think that was a that was a really good game as far as coming down to the wire, yeah. crowds into it, the usual four and a half hour one Yankee Red Sox game. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, I I thought. I thought it was sloppy on both on both teams. Yeah, both teams could have won it, but neither team really deserved to win it. If that makes sense, because the Red Sox were throwing the ball away in the late innings, um, and then the Red Sox score on you can't even really say a wild pitch because it was blocked in front of the plate. Yeah, it was just a, you know what that was a heads up. Uh... That was a good base running move by Bogarts. Yeah, absolutely. He said he got a good secondary lead, and he he, had, he admitted that it was he was taking a risk, obviously, but he just got a good jump on it. 
yeah, because if, if he gets thrown out, he looks bad. But that you know, he he knew he had to score on that play, um, or else, like you said, he's going to look really horrible if he if he takes off there and and gets thrown out. But uh, he's always been a good base runner, not a quick, right? Now, a lot of stolen bases, just good taking the extra base, picking the spots when he can, and yeah, that was a heads up play. So yeah. Absolutely, very smart. And the next two games were just, you know, just ugly blowouts. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Uh, Pavetta didn't have his best stuff on Saturday. And yeah, he he left a lot of pitches up in the strike zone. Yeah, from the from the first inning, from the first couple of batters, you knew it was not going to be a good day for him. Um, and you know, and Tyone, that was a that was a great bounce back for him because you know his last few starts have not been good. So. People were already getting nervous. They get, you know, oh my God, we're done. You know, Tyone is, you know, but again, you know, Tyone doesn't have to be great because he may not even get a start in the playoffs, right? I mean, if Severino comes back healthy, you know, you got Cole and Severino as one and two, and then three is probably going to be Cortez. So do you really need a fourth starter? You definitely don't need a fifth starter, but fourth starter, do you trust Montgomery over Tyone? I would say I yes. think it. I think it depends on if the lineup is left-handed heavy or right-handed heavy. Yeah, because to me, they're you know I think Montgomery's got a little bit more history in the playoffs, and he's pitched well, so maybe that would give him a little bit of an edge. But I think what you're saying makes a, a thousand more sense. I think it, it matters. The matchup is going to matter. You know, if it's a more lefty lineup then yeah maybe Montgomery starts and if it's the other way around maybe Tyone starts but or if there's you know the one guy in the lineup that you don't want to lose to right if one of those pitchers on either end has better numbers against that guy like uh I'm looking at teams that would be in the playoffs now like uh Julio Rodriguez and the Ty France combo or a Devers Bogarts whoever's got better career numbers right then you just go with that one. But I, th- I think it's going to be situational for you guys. I think yeah, if it. everything goes according to the Yankees fans' plans, you don't even have to worry about the fourth and fifth starter in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm I'm personally worried about – I'm worried about Seve coming back and being healthy the rest of the way. And, of course, I've been talking about Cortez and his inning limits since uh, – But that's a real concern. That's, you know, he's coming up against it because I th- – I think I saw a stat today which perfectly encapsulates the Yankees' first half. It was out of all the games, out of all the games started this year so far, I think your five starters have made all but four starts. Yeah. So, yeah, on one end, that's good because you've been healthy relatively. On the other side, you have to be kind of cautious with certain certain pitchers because of innings limits and usage and but the good thing is you have a lead in division so it's you don't want to rest guys but you can take a sixth day take a fifth or sixth day in between starts and maybe bring somebody up for a spot start or do an opener once in a while i think that's what's going to happen you know you got him on he's probably going to be activated after the all-star game to replace um, uh, Seve's start. So we'll see there. And then, like you said, after he comes back, hopefully 
um, then you could start using Herman as that, you know, guy to maybe open the game instead of start making or making Cortez start, you know, come in on the back end of, of the opener game, you know, something like that. So um, that, that's my bigger, my bigger issue. Tyone, I'm not worried about Montgomery. They are what they are, right? They are three or four starters, you know, at best. So uh, that's where I think they are. I'm worried about Cole. Cole looks magnificent on yesterday. Um, so I'm not worried about him. And Sevi's the big one. Sevi's healthy by September and into October, then we're good. And then, of course, the trade deadline, we'll get into that. If they add another piece or two, um, that will clear up the starting rotation as well. But, uh, yeah, Saturday, it was just a blowout, you know, from the, from the get-go, like I said. Uh, the, the one thing I want to get to about Saturday, and this, is, this has been bothering me since then, is, and we spoke about it a little bit off, you know, <laughs> texting back and forth, like, why – why did they put the future the futures game against <laughs> the Yankee Red Sox game on Saturday night? It doesn't make sense. It makes and then... no sense. Number one, all right, you, you put it on Peacock. All right, that was a mistake to begin with. Right, and then they replayed it on MLB Network, but it was at like 9 a.m. Eastern. Yeah, I mean, who's watching? They'll have to, nobody's, nobody, I would say nobody in their right mind would, do, would wake up and watch it, but I did, so. I didn't know it was on, otherwise I would have watched it. But I, <laughs> but I mean, imagine being on the West Coast trying to watch that. It's watching the replay at six a.m. Like, what is Major League Baseball doing? I think a lot of fans would have wanted to see that. Personally, this hey, Dominguez looked good. He had a dropped ball in the outfield, but then he hit a bomb. Volpe looked good. Um, all around, even even when the players were making errors, it was just you know out of hustle and. Yeah. People are showing off good throws left and right. I mean, just good at bats, electric stuff on the mound for most of these guys. It was, it, it could have been packaged much better. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking more, I know, I know they had the, the draft last night on Sunday night, but why not make it the Sunday night game and have like a K, um, a rod cast type of thing, but have yeah. it, you know, keep lore, all the, the, you know, the draft yeah. up there, you know, and them talking about each player explaining, you know, giving us the lowdown on each player and all that stuff. I think that would have been so much better. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they could have even done like a double header with, I know they usually do baseball tonight starting at six on Sunday night. So they could have done the future game, West Coast time in the afternoon. Yeah. So it would have been like four or five on the East Coast mm -hmm. and then go into the draft. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. And but, before we talk about the draft and the rest of the All-Star stuff, because it's one of the – this is one of the more busy episodes for a non-game, non-regular season game that we've had because uh, I still haven't talked about Chris Sale's injury. Right, we got into that. We could get into that game. Uh, that that was that was just horrible luck. I mean, yeah, he comes back off a non-throwing injury with a, a, I think he broke something in his rib cage or tweaked something in his rib cage. So he comes back off of that injury. You figure Red Sox fans are like, okay, we've got our ace back. 
Pam, Avaldi, Gravetta, one, two, three. We'll figure out the rest of the order later. Got our got our most of our team healthy. Now we'll just kind of get a big win against Cole and then go into the all-star break. And the exact opposite happens. I think it was Aaron Hicks who hit the line drive. Yes. Um it was just one of those freak things. And you you you'd be surprised, at least I was, that more people, more pitchers don't get hit on comebackers. Oh, definitely, yeah. And if he didn't put up his hands, it would have been horrific. But um, so I guess they said it was a fracture or a broke broken bone. Um I know Vasquez had the similar injury. I don't know if it was his throwing hand, but it was, they're saying at least six to eight weeks. Yeah, I heard, I didn't Sale say at least four to six weeks or? Yeah, they keep pushing from anywhere from four to eight at least. Um, I don't think he comes back this year. I think he makes like maybe a rehab start in the minors, gets fine, and then it's the end of the year. Um, well, the season does get pushed back into, I keep forgetting, because of the late start. So maybe, maybe he pitches at the end. I'm just thinking eight weeks, and then you got to ramp him back up. It's, it's going to be tricky, because that would put you into middle of, middle of September. If it's eight weeks, he'd be making a rehab start this time in September. So maybe he comes back for a start at the end of the year. If they're if they're in it, you're gonna you know push them. And but uh, either way, it was just a bad break, bad bounce. Um, and now I see on Red Sox Twitter, it's the floodgates have opened. Who who's available to trade? Everybody on the team. Yeah, Red Sox are gonna be complete sellers. I see about. For every nine tweets I see about that, I see one tweet saying, just relax. They're only a couple games out of the last wild card spot. But I, I would, my heart tells me that they should be sellers. I'll, I'll, I'll settle in between. I'll say they're going to strategically pick up a couple of pieces, but nothing nearly, even remotely as big of a name as I thought they would be like a week ago. Right. You know, I, I mean, they could have been in, I, I heard they were, you know, you could kick the tires on Luis Castillo a while back, like a week ago, even. I don't, I don't see that happen. They, they need a first baseman, an outfielder, at least one starting pitcher and one bullpen piece to compete with the Yankees and the Astros in the playoffs, I think that's what they need. And if you tell me you need four guys on the 26-man roster, that's going to cost you at least four men off the roster, obviously, to replace them with. And it's going to cost you at least that many prospects, if not two per person. You know what I mean? So it's – yeah. I mean, just to get Josh Bell for the rest of the year and next year, that's going to cost you a couple prospects and to bring back a believer and out. Yeah, I just think it's a little too much and it's a little too late in the year. I hate to say the season's over, but the division is definitely shut down for me. 
Yeah, I think we, I, I, we, we spoke about it. After these two series, we would know if, if the Red Sox are, you know, have any. Yeah. They would have took it, it's the wild card. It's like if they swept yeah. one of them and took three out of four, I'd say, in yeah. Portland, you know, yeah, maybe. All right. You know, cut it 10 or nine. Then we're talking, you know, then it's right. You get the division. But I think that's out. Wild card and the wild cards within obviously the wild cards within reach, and but I'm just looking at their starting rotation. It moves everybody up a spot, and it puts more pressure on an already weak bullpen. Um, so you got Evaldi at the one. Pavetta right now is number two, and he has been horrendous recently. Um, ZRA went from there was some talk about him maybe getting onto the All Star team, like as when this when the rosters when the voting started a couple of weeks ago, right? And his ERA has doubled in the last four or five starts. So, um, after that, you got Rich Hill coming back off injury, Winkowski coming off of COVID, uh, Sale is out. Um, it's Paxton is still a ways away. <sighs> Bello is back down in AAA. Um, I'm forgetting a couple of guys, but Seabold and Cutter Crawford have are going to have to step up in the second half. I think they're going to need an arm at the very least to just give them a couple of starts, give them some innings, take the pressure off of the top end of that rotation. Um, I I like Whitlock and Hauk in the bullpen, so. It, there's even more pressure. There's even more innings to fill in the with starts. So, yeah, I'm just shaking my head a lot side to side because I don't know where the Red Sox go from here. Because on one hand, you know, the argument, if you're being optimistic, is you know we're in this, we can fight for a wild card. Being pessimistic, they're closer to the basement of the AL East than they are to the wild card spot. I definitely think they're they're still in. I really do. I know it's. I know I'm I'm looking at it from just the more positive side. But I get, I mean, you're only two games out of a wild card spot, and you're a team that's a proven playoff team. And I think that that's more dangerous than the hot team like Seattle or Toronto. Toronto's won three straights, and now they're, yep. you know, maybe they're getting back on track. But I think Boston is the more dangerous team than those two. I don't care how hot Seattle is. Boston is still the proven playoff team out of that bunch right there. Obviously, Tampa, Tampa's Tampa. We know they'll they'll win no matter what. So who cares, yeah. right? They'll figure out something. Yeah, they'll they'll get somebody off the street and figure it out. But I'm more worried if I'm the Yankees, even though, okay, yeah, we probably got a better team than Boston, but I'm more worried about Boston than I am Seattle or Toronto because. Boston has done it in the playoffs. And listen, we could talk about it in baseball or any sport, right? When there's a playoff team, even if they're a low seed, that's a dangerous team because they've done it and they got to. Yeah, if you're telling me there's a one game series, fine. Um, regardless, I'm only, but a one game series with Avaldi on the mound and Devers up at bat, you got it. I get what you're saying. And they've done it in the past. But if. A three-game, seven-game series against a team 
like the Yankees or the Astros or even Toronto. I mean, I, I just don't see it. I, I, especially with Whitlock's innings coming up towards a career high. That's why they're putting him back in the bullpen. Um, their closure situation is what it is right now. Uh, you don't know what you're getting back with Trevor's story from his hand injury. Because at first they were saying the x-rays were negative. Then it's the 10-day IL. But I, I get what you're saying. Anytime you have Martinez, Devers, and Bogarts, there's, you have pedigree there. Think about this for a second. If you guys get the third wild card spot, let's just say you land in the third wild card, wild card spot, that means you're going to play Minnesota most likely, right, in the first round? We would play – play the yes we would get yeah and we would play at minnesota for all three i think you have a just as good as any other team to win that series i don't think minnesota minnesota doesn't scare me yeah the next round yeah of course you're going to play either the yankees or houston right whoever ends up being the number yeah because right now i put the yankees and then below them is houston and then below them is everybody else did, uh, are they doing it this year with um, with the team with the top seed gets to pick who they want to play? I forgot. To be honest with you, I haven't even looked at that because my team is nowhere near that. Yeah, like <laughs> Minnesota probably takes the worst team, right? Yeah, and then the four or five, the, the two uh, wild cards. Yeah, they play each other. Play each other. Right now you're talking – Tampa Bay hosting Seattle and Minnesota hosting Toronto. But if you guys take over Toronto, say, I could definitely see you guys winning that round. I mean, yeah, I can, if it falls that way, I like Boston's chances against Minnesota. I like him against the Cleveland. I like him against the Central. But I, weirdly enough, against the other wildcard teams, I don't know. I mean, I rag on Toronto all the time, but they've they've had Boston's number. And as much as I don't like them, maybe they don't know what they don't know. They're so young that they're just going to go out there and it's going to be as simple as sea ball, hit ball. Right. Yeah, this year you guys have not played the East. Yeah, we're, that's another thing. Yeah. And I know I'm hedging my bets here. When it's, usually it's everything's great or everything's horrible, but Right now, you could spin it both ways with Red Sox. That's yeah. what's so infuriating because they haven't won a series. They're 0-10-1 against the AL East in series, yet they're still in the wild card hunt. Sale has pitched six and a third innings, and they're still in the wild card hunt. But Devers is having an all-star year. Bogart's having an all-star year. I mean, they're there are players in their lineup that are performing up to expectations and they're still not in the playoffs. So yeah, it can go both ways, but yeah, no, the way you broke it down, if they play Minnesota, yeah. Sign me up for three games against Minnesota. Cause you guys have not played good against the East, right? You're three and seven against Toronto. You're two and eight against Tampa. Um, you're four and six against us. And Baltimore, you're three and five. And then here's another interesting. I'm just looking at their numbers. Their month month by month record, right? 
you guys, April, 9 and 13. In May, 14 and 14. June, 20 and 6. And then this month, 5 and 12. Yeah, so it's welcome to the roller coaster. Yeah, like if you take out June and let's yeah. say, right? You'd be really in, in bad shape right now. Yeah, and June, they were just, not just, but they were red hot at the plate. There was a time there where Bogarts, Martinez, and Devers were all batting in between 325 and 350. So it, there's, I'll be cautious. I'll say I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm on the fence right now about which way they'll go. Uh, I can see them picking up maybe a back end rotation pitcher and a mid a mid-inning arm, like a bridge arm in the bullpen. I don't think they're going to go after Josh Bell and Luis Castillo and all the big names. No way. Here's the, the positives. Not positives, but here's a good way to look at it. The trade deadline is August 2nd, right? Okay. Yep. Your next games are home against Toronto, home against Cleveland, and then home against Milwaukee. So by the end of that, by the end of your homestand, I think the team will know if you're going to be buyers or sellers. Come yes. Time, right. If they, if they don't start winning two out of three in series, though. Right. That's what I mean. If you're, yeah. If you have a 500 home, uh, homestand there, right? You get three, yep. uh, seven, and ten. If you go five and five, and August first, you're you're still sitting where you are or a little bit lower. They're probably going to be like, you know what? This right. You got this free agent coming up, this free agent coming up, and you got big Then I think they'd have to get swept by another ALEs team. Like if Toronto, if they play Toronto, Toronto sweeps them, then I think you start thinking about, well, Lavaldi's a free agent. Vasquez. Right. Uh, Bogarts is a whole other issue. J.D. Martinez uh, made me figure out kind of position financial flexibility for multiple years in the in the future but yeah i i guess i'm trying to talk myself into being patient but it's almost it's it's mid to the end of july so it's you know it's, it's getting late early yep right i mean and you're getting close to the trade deadline so it's going to be like they got to decide which way they want to go. And I think. And if things are equal, like say the Yankees and the Red Sox both need a corner outfielder or a center field, you know what I mean? Like an outfielder. Right. If things are equal, the Yankees might say, hey, we're going to, we're going to overpay a little bit because we're coming from a place of we're in first place. The Red Sox, I don't know if, the, if you're on the outside looking in, if you're going to be willing to pay over what another team is going to offer. Right. So like if there's a Benintendi sweepstakes or a Luis Castillo or Josh Bell, if that heats up, Boston's a great place to play and people are going to love to go there. But what I'm saying is I don't know if the front office of Boston is going to overpay Unless they unless they get hot in the next couple of weeks, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think those net, those first two series, you're going to find out yeah. right away, one way or the other. 
two things about Boston like got to me, and one of them goes into the Yankees. Number one, I think the offseason trade, the getting back Bradley and and trading away Renfro. You think Renfro would have made a difference? He's having a okay season. Thirteen, got thirteen home runs, twenty nine RBIs, two forty. Yeah, he's just getting healthy now again. I think they were. I, I I hate to say it. I think it was money. They bought a couple of prospects. Basically, they brought back Bradley and a couple of prospects. And I think Renfro had a career year last year. Uh, would I do it again? Probably not. I love Jackie Bradley Jr., but I'd have to say a healthy Renfro is better. But I think they were trying to do a uh, kind of. They were kind of trying to read the tea leaves and see that this year's outfield was going to be different from last year's and that they weren't going to create as many runs. They were going to be more run prevention defense, defensive outfield. And yeah, I, it, it's hard to defend the trade. So would I do it again? No, I would, I would pick option three. I would do something completely different. I would have, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I would have, I could see trading Renfro because you're, you're, he's coming off a career year. So you trade, you sell high, but maybe bring back somebody other than Bradley and prospects, maybe bring back somebody that's a little better without the prospects. Right. Gotcha. So. And the other thing I thought of too, just watching the Yankees series was what if, because if I remember correctly, you guys were looking to get Rizzo as well last year at the trade deadline, right? Yep. And you guys had a trade. I forgot what happened if they, if the Yankees had the better offer or if he just decided to go to the Yankees or whatever. But what if Rizzo went to Boston last year at the trade deadline? Like how different both teams would be right now? Wow. That would be, um, that, yeah, that would have been much different. I, I don't know if, not to say that Rizzo, I mean, if anything, it's the complete opposite. Rizzo's a great clubhouse guy, so it could have added to the team last year. But I think last year's team with the Red Sox, they overachieved. They came within two games of making the World Series, so I don't think you mess with that mojo. And, and of course, they did, by trading Renfro and kind of mixing it up. But um, I think in the short term, they were fine without Rizzo because they got Schwarber. They kind of filled holes where they needed to, but this year, to your point, is where it came at. Rizzo would have definitely helped defensively in the locker room. He would have covered up a lot of deficiencies. Yeah. And, I mean, you know it better than anyone watching him every day. He's, he's a great player. I just I don't know if it was I, I think I suspect it was a combination of Rizzo had the choice of where he wanted to go and the package was a little better maybe from the Yankees. Yeah, it it would have been definitely would have been interesting because I could see the impact he had that he has on the Yankees and I I would say he would have had just as good maybe even a bigger in, uh, impact on Boston because. You put him on Boston instead of Schwarber, you know, maybe that team takes 
two yeah. more games and gets to the World Series. Like, yeah, the only reason I kind of hesitate is because Schwarber had that huge grand slam against the Astros. Oh, right. Yep. Um, that, but defensively, he's nothing to write home about compared to Rizzo. And that's being generous. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Rizzo would fit on a lot of teams. He would. He, um, I think that the Red Sox thought that Cassis wouldn't they didn't envision him getting hurt, and they thought he would be up by now. So they didn't need Rizzo for an extra year. Um, but if if they got Rizzo instead of Schwarber, things, yeah, you're right. I mean, because off the field, what he brings is intangibles, and then on the field, he's a great defender. He's a clutch hitter. He had that big hit against us, uh, against Boston in the game in the wild card round, even though you guys lost that game, he had, correct me if I'm wrong, he had the home run, right? Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it's not like he shies away from the big stage and he's been there before with the Cubs. So it, it would have been, that would have been a nice little him endeavors as left-handers and then Bogarts and JD as the righties. That's a formidable half of the lineup. Yeah, I, I, every time I see Rizzo, I think about it. And I'm like, wonder like if that if that trade didn't happen and he went to and he went to Boston, how things would have changed last year. And, and they only gave up like a mid level prospect for Schwarber because Schwarber was a rental. Right. I think they gave up the 18th best prospect in their in their farm system. So. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting, but what was what was the biggest takeaway before we get into the second half and we talk about the the All Star Weekend Week type of thing? It's tough calling it the weekend because it starts the break is like a half a week, and it's during the week. But before we look at the All Star break, what was your biggest takeaway or biggest? Yeah, your biggest takeaway from this weekend or the first half as a Yankee fan? Well, I think from this from this series, I thought yesterday's game when Cole pitched inside to Devers. Yeah, so much. Yeah, we've talked about so much, and then I forgot about that. That was um. To me, that was go ahead. <laughs> it it was huge because. It's something that I think most Yankee fans, I don't know if they were, but I know I was and most of the people I know were screaming for whenever Ortiz would get up, right? Because he would kill us game in, game out. Kill us, just like Devers has been doing this year. And we never did. We never, I'm not saying hit him, but I'm saying just no, no. like No, I know what you mean. Just I... like Cole did. Cole didn't throw at his head. He didn't want to hit him. He just... Get a, he just made him a little bit uncomfortable, and, and that's what you got to do. I'm, you've seen it, right? Whenever Pedro pitched, that's what he yeah. did. And Pedro, you can, it's not even an argument. It's right. more than an argument, it's a fact. Pedro would go even higher up the ladder as far as throwing at people when he would throw up and in. I so throwing the- towards somebody's knees is nothing. It, I think it was. I, I, I was scared 
when I saw Devers kind of ballerina his way out of it. But um, I, I think that's the way to go. I think you go from the waist down and you just get the person's feet. You get, get him kind of like um, kind of shuffling his feet up there, get him a little dancing and give him something to think about next during that event. Make him a tad, make him a tad bit uncomfortable. Exactly. That, that, that's all you got to do. And and because Paul even said it after the last time they played, he goes, I've done everything. I've done everything I can to get him out and I can't get him out. He said it because I've made the pitch I wanted, the location I wanted, everything. And he's, and he's killing it. And he made a joke. He goes, maybe you could help me. You know, maybe you could tell me how to get him out because when they asked him, you know, how do you, how come you can't get him out? He goes, I don't know. Because I just, and he's tried everything and he's, you know, and he's a, 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 he's a pitcher. He's not a thrower. This guy's a pitcher. Right. He's always thinking up there. And I, I think he's like, so maybe he did it out of frustration or maybe he did it out of a. a no, I think that, I think that was, I, and again, I, I, I'm not in the, the minority that thinks that he was throwing at him. I, I just think he was getting him uncomfortable. Like you said, and I think it was a purpose pitch. Oh, I, I think 100% it was to get his feet moving and more so to get him off his train of thought to get, and I'm not saying Devers is, you know, weak as far as his mindset and you just throw him inside and all of a sudden you can get him out. And what I'm saying is if, if you have a batter like Devers who has somebody's number, they go up and they dictate the at-bat. Whereas usually it's the pitcher that's dictating the at bat, and the batter is just playing defense and just reacting. And between Cole and Devers, I think it was flipped for a while there. I think it was Devers kind of seeing whether it was just seeing the ball better or something in, in Cole's delivery that he could pick up. He was dictating the at bats for a while there. And it might be as simple as just get his feet moving, and all of a sudden, as he's getting up, you could see Devers' face. He kind of exhaled and looked out and then looked to the dugout. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and even if for one pitch he's thinking about, what the heck is that guy throwing at my legs for? Right. Like, even if the next windup, he's, if he's thinking about something other than picking up the ball, picking up the rotation, spin on the ball, what quadrant am I looking at? All the stuff that you go that, you know, that great hitters go through their mind at the point of the at-bat. If he's thinking about anything else, Cole is so good that that's all you need. You just need that little hesitation, that little doubt. And I think that's, I think it worked. Oh, it definitely With, did. Without a doubt. It hit, right? He went over three, two K. Yep. So it definitely worked. And you could see his reaction. He was definitely like, whoa. That thing almost, you know, like you could yeah. tell. And, and and again, I don't think it was as simple as now everybody can just throw Devers inside and then, no, no, you no. know, because then everybody would, that would, you would do that to every batter. You throw one off the plate inside and then you pitch him. I just think it was Cole kind of saying, you know what, I'm the one dictating this at bat. Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of you killing us every yeah. game. And, you know, you're, you're beating me. You know, and I'm supposed to be the ace, and you're beating right. every single at bat. So you know what? Get off my plate, first of all. 
and now we'll talk, you know, like, yep. it was like you know, let's kind of like reset. <laughs> and I would say uh, the, the biggest thing for me coming from this weekend, looking at the Yankees from, from Boston point of view is just how deep this team is. I mean, Carpenter, all of a sudden you can't pitch to Carpenter. Really? <laughs> like you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, he turned into Mickey Mantle all of a sudden. Uh, and then Tim LeCastro is hitting home runs. I mean, it's like next man up. It's like everybody that's coming in is taking the extra base, stealing a base, playing good defense. It's just – I'm waiting for Marwin Gonzalez to hit a walk-off grand slam against Boston because it's like, who, who's next? I mean, it's just – it just shows you that. And Matt Carpenter was a very good player, so don't get me wrong, but he – He's just indicative of the type of year that the Yankees are having, where he's it's just kind of, the right place at the right time with the right person. He's been kind of done, though, for the last two or three years. I mean, yeah. He basically took a minor league contract this year just to kind of, I mean, he, they, they were talking about it on, on the broadcast about that he went back to, he went to like Matt Holiday and his old batting coach to kind of rework his, you know, to find out what, what, what's going on. Yeah, I think he talked to Joey Votto and then Matt Holliday. Yeah, so he yep. kind of basically broke it down and started from scratch and really worked on things. And then they said he did get some major league offers, but he wanted the, uh, the minor league offers so that he could prove himself again. You know, get the regular at-bats and prove himself. And then he opted out, and then the Yankees just scooped him up. I mean, yep. it's, it's an amazing – it's one of the more amazing stories we've seen – in the past couple of years, I mean, this guy coming out of, like you said, he was a good player, but he hasn't been a good player for a couple of years now. So, um, but I, I'm curious to see, like, is he going to be in this role that he is now where he plays every couple of games, or is he going to get more of a regular role, especially with, uh, with Gallo maybe being moved? Is he going to get into right field? Because he's not a great fielder. So, you know, you could hide him in right field, I guess and hope that he runs into a couple and, and gets a home run every now and then maybe third base, because that's, that's our other black hole uh, starting to become. I would say against a right-handed hitter against, excuse me, against a right-handed pitcher. Say if it's you know, against uh, like a, a top pitcher for Toronto and he's righty. So Manoa or. Yeah. Yeah, Manoa. So it would be, I would put him, I would put Carpenter at third base and have Donaldson come off the bench. Yeah. And then against a lefty like a Robbie Ray or McClanahan with Tampa, you can you can flip it. Yeah. Don I mean. I don't know what's, I mean, is it just his age where he's just done? Like, I know he's 35, 36, but is this. Boone still said that. He's got enough in the tank where he's expecting, not expecting, but he can see where he expects Donaldson to, to have enough in the tank to carry this team offensively in the second half for a stretch. And yeah, if he gets hot, he still can. Yeah, I they, just. I don't know. It, it, well, at the end of the half, he's got, he's at 224, nine homers, 35 ribbies, 390 slugging. 700 OPS. Um, I, I, I mean, he's going to he's gonna end up with a, 
horrible year and still hit 15 to 20 home runs and 70 RBIs. Yeah. If, if, yeah, if he still gets the at bats. Yeah. If he, to see where the but, you know, um, fits in, you know, like they add someone else. I think it's the, it might be as simple as just, you know, they got to look at the advanced stats and say, look at his defensive run save. Not that Geo was a bad defender at third last year, but there is a difference, I think, just from the games I've seen between what Donaldson is bringing defensively. And I think it just shifts everybody over a spot too. Yeah, no, that's one thing. He's He still has the, the good glove. He's a excellent. You'd like to see more power from him? Yeah. Of course. He's average. Listen, he's average as he's average. You're not going to get much more. I mean, he's a career 260 hitter. But so maybe he get like like Boone was saying, maybe he gets hot for a week and that average at the end of the year is 240. Right. But he gets hot and he hits some more home runs. That's what I think the Yankees last are looking year, for. Last year he hit 247, 26 homers and 72 ribbies. You know? I think I think if you're a Yankee fan, you'd sign up for that with his defense. Yeah. Yeah, you'd like to see him get a little more, you know, offense. Just a little bit, because the defense is there. You want to see him. You want to see a little more offense. I don't. He doesn't have to carry the team, obviously, but you want to see someone else step up because obviously now you got Carpenter coming out of nowhere, but you want to see somebody other than like Judge because when Judge doesn't hit, it seems like you know the rest of the team don't hit. Mm-hmm. So you know between him and um, and Stanton, you, know, you want to see somebody else step it up. You know Torres has been pretty solid all year. I would say who's going to be that third guy that teams like when when Boston comes into New York, I always circle obviously Judge and then Stanton. Who's that third guy that you got to not pitch around but be careful? Is it going to be Rizzo? Is it going to be Donaldson, Torres? Yeah, I would start at Rizzo. Yeah. Work your way down. Because Torres has been good too. Um, But I would say those two guys for sure. And that's the thing. Donaldson could sneak in without anybody really expecting him to. Like he did in Fenway. Yeah. You know, so we'll see. And, and, you know, just like you guys have a lot of, a lot of, you know, decisions to make before the deadline. I think the, the Yankees do too, because I still think they, they need another piece where, you know, it depends if Sevy comes back, you know, but we don't know, but if he could come back hundred percent healthy for the rest of the year, you know, Another pitcher would be great. Castillo, yeah, of course, we'd all love him, um, and I would love for, that would that would solve the problem, <laughs> right? The starting rotation problem. I, I think the name to watch for is the guy from Oakland, not um, the injured pitcher, but the one Blackburn. Oh, okay. He just got. I think he got named to the All Star team. He's having a really good year. I'm not sure about his contract situation, but um, I he's he's a good pitcher. I think that would solve. He would he would fit in as like a th- number three on the Yankees, number two, number three ish. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, yeah, I'm not sure about his. I'd have to look that up. With what his uh, contract situation is? Because Castillo. I mean, the Yankees can afford Castillo, but. He might cost them. He's going to cost a lot of prospects. Yeah. Oh, Peraza for sure. You know, that's going to be one name you're going to hear a lot to him. 
because you're not going to give up Volpe or Domingue. So it's definitely going to cost at least one of your top prospects. Two, probably a, a pitching prospect as well. So. <clears throat> and speaking of prospects, that's a perfect segue between the Futures game and the draft on Sunday. Uh, the first two rounds of the draft on Sunday. They're still doing the draft now. I thought they did better job with the draft than they did with the Futures game. Yeah. Because it was on ESPN the first couple rounds. They had uh, uh, they had Passon on site, kind of interviewing those players that were there, uh, talking to Manfred and kind of uh, – he was like the on-site draft guy. Um, they had Carl Ravage. They had the coach of the year from Tennessee. I forgot his name. Um, and then a couple other prospect guys. And I think they had Eduardo Perez too. So they had they had a pretty good lineup. They had almost their A team there. I, I thought it, I mean, it's nothing compared to the NBA or NFL draft, but I think they're doing a better job promoting it. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely more of an event than it than it normally is, you know. Yeah. They have it in the studio, you know, the MLB Network studio. So it's not really that big of a thing. But Well, now it was outside. It was on location. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I thought that's much better than what they normally do. Um, just getting back quickly before we move on to Blackburn. Blackburn still has – he's still in pre-arbitration. He still has oh, wow. control. So okay. <laughs> I don't think he's going to get moved. But he would probably cost just – I don't want to say just as much as uh, as Montas, but he, he would probably cost a lot. And he's only 28. So, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's going to be interesting. It depends on, I think it depends on the severity of Seve's injury. If, Se- if Seve, if they're kind of iffy on Se- Seve coming back 100% healthy, then I think there's more pressure to get Castillo. If Sevy, if they think, oh, yeah, Sevy be back, you know, it's just this or that, whatever it is, then I think they could get that middle innings guy or, you know, like we're just saying with Boston, that kind of just that innings guy that you could just bring in and then or maybe shore up the bullpen either side, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. So I I think Sevy's going to determine in the next week what they do and what direction they're going in, in that sense. But um yeah, and getting back to the draft, I agree. Um, they definitely did it right. And what what was good also, too, last night was it was – that was the only thing going on for them baseball-wise. Yeah. For the game, you know, like like we said with the Yankee-Red Sox game, they had the Futures game going against it. That makes – it made zero sense because Yankees-Red Sox, even if you're not a Yankee-Red Sox fan, you're probably tuning into that game. So why? Yeah. You know? So – yeah, so it to me it didn't make sense. Um, I I don't know. They they got to figure out a better way to do it. Um, but um, and this year was I mean not to get too far into the draft because there's a lot of little things about the draft you know signing above slot and values and team money being spent. But a lot of guys in the top picks were sons of former. Big league players. I know Holiday, Matt Holiday's kid went number one. Andrew Jones's kid went, I think, number two. Yeah. And then um, Carl Crawford's kid went in the top in the first round. Um, 
I'm forgetting a bunch, but Andrew there were at least four or five former big league, like all-star level players yep. whose kids went. Uh, did you see the first – we'll just talk about the first-round picks, the first-day picks for the Yankees and Red Sox. Um, the, I guess it's the left-handed Aaron Judge. Yeah, that's basically what they're comparing him to. Um, I could read you guys off real quick what uh, Keith Law wrote about him, the scouting report. Uh, basically, it says Jones was a two-way prospect in high school but hurt his arm as a senior and ended up going – undergoing Tommy John surgery in July 2020, ended his pitching career. Uh, fortunately for him, he has an upside as a position player, showing double power and hard contact, but with a fair amount of swing and miss due to his size. Jones, like you said, is 6'7", and the history of position players that fall is not great. Only 16 hitters that fall have ever appeared in the majors. Only five have played in at least 300 games. Um, and, all, and all but two of them have at had above average strikeout rates relative to their leagues. Um, he has brought his strikeout rate down from last year when it was 30%, but still swings and misses in the zone too often. The Aaron Jones comp is obvious. Both are huge athletic outfielders who make very hard contact and run well for their size. If Jones can get his plate discipline to where Judges is, he's behind Judge when comparing the two at the same age. Jones has a clear all-star upside. But he's a ways. He's a ways from that right now. Yeah, and I mean, you even in the first round, scouts and executives and teams are just looking for that raw tool that they can yeah. add on to because very rarely, when you were watching it, you could see in even the top picks, they were showing the twenty to eighty scale of their five tools, and a lot of these guys, they do what they currently are sitting at and then what they're projected to be when they reach the big leagues. And it's night and day. I mean, some of these guys had, and just for all the listeners, 20 to 80 scale, obviously 20 is the lowest, 80 is the highest, and 50 is major league average. And it's the five tools, the hitting, hitting for power, speed, fielding, and throwing. Right. So... If 50 is majorly average, Carl Crawford's kid had an 80 grade in running. <laughs> so he already is one of the fastest players. So you take that skill and you look at the rest of his skill. They're they're solid, but they're not outstanding. Right. So it's, you know, it's finding guys like that. And Spencer Jones fits that profile because he has light talent power. It's and his athleticism and whatnot. So you, so when Yankee fans, when they look it up, they might be a little scared to swing and miss and people compare him to Aaron Judge, but it's he definitely has some raw skills there. Yeah. And the Red Sox went with a couple of shortstops in the first first couple of picks. And I just gotta I just gotta say that everyone's gotta calm down when they see multiple shortstops getting at the same team, back-to-back, you always put your best, you usually, I should say, especially in high school, put your best athlete in shortstop or center field or even nowadays catcher. You just put them right up the middle, and then you can figure out, because one of them, the first pick was Mikey Romero 
from a high school out in California for the Red Sox that picked them. Um, he, one of them is a glove first guy that can stick it short. The other one is a bat first guy that will probably move to second or third. So it, all I'm trying to say is that fans have to relax because these are, first off, these are 18-year-old kids. And second off, a lot of these guys move positions. So if you see shortstop, like three out of the first five picks were, were shortstops, the Red Sox. I guarantee you at least one of them is a different position by next year. <laughs> Maybe more than one. Yeah, at least one. And if all three make it to the big leagues, I guarantee uh, more than one will be at a different position. So you're, you're just looking for that, that raw skill and athleticism. It's beyond the first couple of names. It's tough to project 17, 18-year-olds what they're going to do for the team. But I, I, I like the Spencer Jones pick. I saw in the mock drafts a lot of people mocked him to you guys at 25, and that's hard to do and get right. Because the biggest news was the, the Rangers picking number three, picked Kumar Rocker, who went number 10 last year with the Mets. And fans will say, wait, how can he get picked twice? It's, it's a unique thing to baseball where if you don't sign, you go back into the draft and whatnot. But um, Rocker went third, and some people had him even going as far down as 24 to Boston. So Texas teams up former – teammates Jack Leiter and Rocker. Um, that, that to me was the biggest surprise, but these guys have so much talent as far as the top of the rounds. It's night and day from where the draft was even, even 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, the, the thing with Rocker going third, reading into it a little bit more when you see who his agent was. Scott Boris. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at who the Texas signed, Simeon and Seeger. And certain teams, <laughs> certain teams have a, have a philosophy where they pick best player available. Certain teams, because the patience required in baseball with the draft, it's not like the NFL where you could draft your starting quarterback for the next year and see him next, you know what I mean? And he's performing on the big stage the, the following year. This is like, at, at, at best, a couple of years away. And most likely with high schoolers, right. you're probably drafting five years from seeing them in the big league. So a lot of teams pick best player available and they figure it out later. Some teams like the Texas Rangers, they see a window and – they say, you know what, we're going to take a guy that's already pitched an independent bowl, pitched at the top, um, one of the top pitching uh, universities in Vanderbilt in the SEC, which is just like half of the top 25 is in the SEC every year. Yeah. And, you know, he's shown, he's shown that he can do it. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts at like high A or double A. Yeah, I, I agree. But I, I think also, too, a lot of the – when you talk about guys that are drafted and too high or too low, it's because a lot of it is the signability too, right? I yep. mean, 
in football, it's you're slotted and you get a certain amount, you know, so that's why you don't get any of these guys holding out. Sometimes you do because it's just, you know, it's something with the contract with bonus money or. Right. You know, yeah. The, the, the biggest thing with baseball is with the MLB is like, if I'm a high school senior and I get drafted, I can either sign or if I have a commitment to college, which if I'm getting drafted, I usually do. I could go to the college and then wait a couple of years and re-enter the draft. Right. So you can actually get a couple of bites at the draft. And sometimes, a lot of times, if you're a high school, if you're a high school senior, you have more leverage because you can play, you can say, look, I have, I have the university of whatever that I can go to for four years. You have to wow me with an offer. And some teams stay away from that at the start and they'll pick a, they'll pick a college senior who has no other options. So it's, it's definitely interesting. It's, um, I mean, we've seen back-to-back years with the nationals going back for fans. that will remember in 2009, 2010, Harper and Strasburg back-to-back. So as much as I say the MLB draft doesn't matter as much as the other big sports drafts, it does matter because you know, if the fans are patient in a couple of years, you'll be seeing or hearing from some of these players real soon. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think they're coming up quicker than they did 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, that, that's what I was trying to get out when I was saying the draft is different. It's not that the players are better. I think the players are just maturing quicker because they're, they're starting travel ball and AAU ball earlier in their careers. And the Tennessee head coach that was on, on the panel on ESPN last night was saying that high school freshmen are getting college scholarships now. Yeah. So that tells you because of the travel ball and the under 18 Olympics and all that stuff. So if high school freshmen are getting scouts from college, giving them scholarship offers, then the draft is already looking at the under 16 teams. So everything is being sped up. So that's why you're seeing Julio Rodriguez in the all-star game as a rookie, as a, what, 19-year-old or 21? Either one, he still should be in college and he's on the all-star team. So to your point, it's, and it kind of started with Harper, but I mean, it even goes further back. I mean, Mickey Mantle was obviously, uh, I, I believe he was right out of high school. He was signed. The bet, but the bet, I mean. Uh, Feller, Bob Feller, I think was 17. Yeah. Right. But I mean, now it's not, it's not like, oh my God, that one guy. Right. You know, and, and, and now it's just like all over the place. It's high school players. Yeah, which is great. I, th- I think it's awesome. And I think, I think the more you see that, I think the more fans will get more into the draft. I think that's the main reason why fans never got into the draft because it was like, ah, we're not going to see this guy for another, you know, five years anyway down the road. But now we're seeing them come up much sooner, you know, much quicker through the system. And now you now we're able to see kids that we saw their fathers play. Right. <laughs> Which is, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, that's uh, that just makes everyone feel old. Yeah. 
<laughs> seeing seeing Matt Holiday's kid go number one. It was like the the second question they asked Matt Holiday because you know they have the camera in the house sometimes. Yeah. They were standing with Matt Holiday and Jackson Holiday, his kid. They're like, congratulations, you know, what can you attribute your success to? Next question, Harold Reynolds. So are you uh Matt, are you uh you're obviously proud of your kid, but are you jealous of his hair? Because he has like long flowing hair and Matt Holiday completely bald shaved head it's like yeah i'm a little jealous of the letters <laughs> but it, it's awesome to see these people these players live out their dream and just get another step closer to the big leagues yeah no i, I agree and um it's great i as yankee fans we i don't think we've seen somebody come up that quick really for a while now so it'd be nice to see volpe come up hopefully I'm picking next year. But... And he was a teammate of lighters in high school. Right. So, yeah. So that, I mean, and that's why I think fans get crazy, too, with some of these minor leaguers. They're like, bring him up. He's ready. He's ready. But, you know, the, the, the teams hold him back for whatever reason it is. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, to just keep on getting better and getting ready. So this way, when they come up, they stay up. It's not like, you know, we've just seen it this week, right? Torkelson got sent down by Detroit back down to AAA. Yeah, I, I always say that I'd rather have – I want the most talented big league team possible, but I'd rather have my top prospects or any prospects for that matter. Instead of yo-yoing them back and forth, I'd rather have it be permanent when they come up, even if, even if that means they're pitching or they're hitting well in triple or double A for a couple of weeks too long. Right. To me, that, that's never, that's never a bad thing. Exactly. And that's so. I, the whole, the whole mindset behind keeping these guys back, you know, other than starting their, their clock, as we know, <laughs> that's, that's another big reason. But I think the main reason is just that, listen, when we bring this kid up, we're going to keep him up. It's not going to be, right. you know, Oh, let's see how he does for a couple of weeks. And if he doesn't work mm -hmm. out. Yeah. No, the whole goal for a prospect on both ends from the team and the prospects point of view is to get a, that call and to make it a one-way ticket. Yeah, I agree. You don't want to like couch it by saying, oh, we'll, can, we'll, get, we'll get you back in AAA soon enough. Like, you don't want to just, it, it makes sense for some people to, obviously that's a dream come true, get your first at bad experience, big league baseball, but you want to be there to stay, so. And getting back to people on the field, you got the home run derby tonight, and then you got the all star game tomorrow. And I think they put out the lineups for the all star game. Yeah, I think so. Judge is batting second, Devers is batting third. I think Vladdy Jr. is batting fourth. It's pretty good middle of the lineup. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. And actually, uh, before we Tim get Anderson, I'm trying to think. Who's leading off? Otani? I think so. Yeah, so it's Otani, Judge, Devers, Vladdy, Stanton, one through five. And the starting pitchers are McCallahan and uh, Kershaw. Isn't it crazy to think that this is Kershaw's first start? That is, I would have never. I mean, it's not something you expect, but it's like, 
with his level of performance and you know winning Cy Youngs and stuff, you would think. Uh, the AL, I get the lineup here. AL lineup is Otani, DH, Judge, Devers, Guerrero, Stanton, Buxton, Anderson, Jimenez, and Kirk. And the National League is Acuna, Betts, Machado, Goldschmidt, Turner, uh, Wilson, Contreras, and then Willis and Contreras, and then Peterson, and then McNeil. Pretty good lineups. It's It's, you know, I just want to see everybody play and kind of not get introduced, but see some names that I, I haven't gotten to see. It's, it's a nice mixture is what I'm trying to say of the guys that you know about, obviously Devers, Judge, Stanton, and the huge names like Otani. And then some of the guys, you know, like Kirk and Jimenez, I, I want to see them play a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. Cause you, you don't get a chance. You know what? They may not make another uh, all-star game, you know? Exactly. So it's actually pretty good. And um, I wanted to say, you know who just announced? Uh, Mike Trout made it, just made a big announcement that he's going to he's gonna be the team captain and he's going to be competing in the uh, World Baseball Classic. Oh, wow. So that's kind of cool that, you know, the best player in the league right now is going to be in it. I think that's huge for baseball. Yeah, that'll help. And I know two out of the four sites are in the country. So I think it's Miami and Phoenix. Uh, I believe and then there are two international sites. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. Um, we also have, this is why I say today's episode is huge, even though there's no games on the field. Um, something that I know at least half of our listeners will be watching the captain documentary part one. And I think, I suspect the other half will tune in for varied reasons. The Red Sox fan base will tune in out of respect. And just because it's Jeter, it's baseball, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, documentary. I think it's a seven part series. Yeah. I, I, you know what, when they first announced it, seven parts, I thought that was a lot. Um, but um you know, he had a he had a pretty interesting career. You know, starting off and getting hurt in um, in high school and but um, yeah, he's had some bumps in the roads throughout his career. Uh, early on in the minors, made a ton of errors his first year with the Yankees in the minors, and they were talking about moving him, and he was he almost quit, and um, yeah. So all that's going to probably come up, and it's I'm actually interested in that and him telling the story and also the whole uh, him and A-Rod being teammates. and Yeah, that was right in the trailer too, which yeah. I was surprised about. I'm looking forward to this. Jeter is a very private guy. you know. With- I was just going to say, I, I like the fact that it's it seemed like a little bit much, to your point, about the seven episodes. But then when you think about it, Jeter just got on social media. The day and age when he played, it was before Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. So it was like when he was playing, he was very private. This might be a little much, but it's kind of almost correcting. You know what I mean? It's almost balancing out what fans kind of didn't get to see behind the scenes while he was playing. Yeah, I mean, unless you, to be honest, if, if you didn't, if you never read any of the books about Jeter, and there's a couple that are really good, um, I've read 
one or two. Um, if you haven't read any of them, you really don't know a lot of the, his backstory because he kept everything so private. And he's also private with players. So other players can't even give you this huge lowdown on him because they don't even know. You know, they were never that close. There's only a handful of players that got really close to Jeter. I think um, it was Posada and Gerald Williams. Yeah, those were like his, his best friends. And, you know, other than that, they really weren't – him and him and A-Rod were close for a while when they first came up. You know, I think early on they were close. But something happened, and I'm curious to see if, if it comes about in this – and I, it probably will, but I'm curious to see, like, what kind of brought them – kind of separated them because they were close. I thought in the very beginning. I, my sneaking suspicion is it was when A-Rod came over and I think they had a conversation about who's staying at shore. Oh, <laughs> there was no. <laughs> no, no, no. I agree with you. Trust <laughs> me. Um, even as, uh, look, I can't stand the Yankees, but look, Derek Jeter is the shortstop. Um, but what I'm, I think that A-Rod expected there to be a conversation, at least. And Jeter was just like, what are you, what are you nuts? <laughs> and, and, and let's be I'm honest. sure there's more to it than that, but that's my suspicion. And I think any baseball fan, Yankee fan, will tell you, A-Rod was the better shortstop, too. I mean, there's no... You mean, oh, A-Rod yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you took away their names and you just watched them play, you would say... You would say one is a good, very good hitter, like, like a really good contact hitter, just plays the game the right way, is there, always is there in the clutch, instinctive, all those attributes. But then when you see the other one play, you're like, wow, that guy hit for power. He's got a cannon for an arm. And, but it just, it just worked with Jeter and Short. He was just uh, – so what I'm trying to say is Erod was the better as far as tools and whatnot, but you put them on the field. Jeter is just, and you know it better than anyone. He was, he was more times than not in the right place at the right time. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, he was never, he might not have always been the reason he won, but he was never the reason he lost. No, never. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the best compliments you could have as a player and a team sport. I'm not going to be the reason why we lose. Oh, so. yeah. His intangibles were off the charts. I think his intangibles were off the charts as much as A-Rod's tools. Were yes. I mean, he was just, you know, he's, he was the number one pick in the draft back whenever. And I think it was 93. Yeah. I think something like that. Yeah. And one of those that, actually lived up to it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there was a stretch there where, and I got a trivia question for you related to the draft, but there was a stretch there where you have, like, Riffy, A-Rod, Chipper Jones, but rarely do you hit on players that well at the first pick. Right. And Jeter was what pick? Uh, Fifth or seventh? Yeah, right around there. Yeah. Yeah, 56. Um, I read the one book with, I think it was Ian O'Connor, the captain. Yeah. That was a really good book. And I think you said it best. It's not, if not that many players know that much about Jeter, 
not that many fan, uh, a lot of fans are going to watch this and say, wow, okay, I guess there is a reason why there's seven parts. Right. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So hopefully it's, it's definitely going to be in-depth. Hopefully it just, I, I suspect there's going to be a lot about his childhood, um, some about the struggles you talked about, and a lot about the A-Rod dynamic with him, and then his legacy. I wonder how much they're going to get into off the field as far as I don't want like the gossip stuff. I don't, I don't care about that. Listen, we know he dated every. Right. Yeah. Good for him. You know, <laughs> wish it was me, but it's him. So. Yeah. I'm not, I don't care about that stuff. I'm, I'm curious. I want, I want like the legacy, like where he's, where he sees himself in terms of where he is with other Yankee greats and how he, how he actively thought about preserving that legacy on and off the field. And the other thing too is that last contract he got. Because that those contract negotiations got ugly. Yes. I'm curious. And fans forget that. Like this is where and this is what's happening with Judge. It's like, listen, this is what we think you're worth. If you could get more, go ahead. If you think that's what you want, then you go for it. And they basically dared Jeter to get a better offer. Like they said, here, this is what we think you're worth right now. We're not right. what you did for us the last decade. We're paying you for what you're doing now. So here's what you here's what we think you're worth. Right. Go out there and try to get a better offer. And, and maybe in 20 years, when you look back about Judge, not to compare them, but you might say, oh, well, looking back on it from afar, things were always rosy with the Yankees and Judge. And it's in the moment when you have to remember and not not that fans take him for granted, either one, Judge or Jeter. But this this documentary would be a good reminder of you got to, whatever team you root for, whatever players are your favorite, when you see greatness, you got to watch it and, and take it in and not right. take it for granted because Absolutely. blink of an eye, it's, it's gone. And then all you have are the documentaries about them. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting, like, that's why this these contract negotiations for, for Judge, it just reminds me so much of this. They're at a little different, obviously. Jeter was a little further in his career, so it wasn't like... It might be like a Bernie Williams type of... Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, because, yeah, even Bernie was a couple of years younger, so, yeah. you know, the age comes into play, but I think it's going to come down to, like, listen, we, and I, the Yankees probably know, listen, this is what we, we're going to offer you. We, you know, whatever it's going to be, this is what we're going to offer you. No matter what it is, they know another team might be out there that's going to say, all right, we'll tack on another year or another two years, and we'll tack on whatever amount more money. They know that, that a team is going to do that. But it's, Right. It's, I used to call it the Baltimore tax, but now it's somebody else's team's tax. Yeah, and I just think it's going to be, it's going to be the lore of, being a Yankee for, for your career, having your number retired, you know, Monument Park, all that stuff, old time is day. Do you want all that? Or do you want to be, or do you want the extra $50 million you're going to get? Is that $50 million worth more than what you Right. Do you want to be able to buy a second private island and be hated by the Yankee fan base? Or do you want the one private island <laughs> with your fortune and have the legacy number retired. 
pinstripes. Right. And that's, I, I think for some players, it means a lot. Obviously, you know, Jeter, I think it meant a lot to him to, to retire a Yankee. You know, and I think it meant a lot for Rivera and some of these other players to do that. Posada, you know, some of these guys might have been able to keep going, but you know what? To retire a Yankee and to have your number out there retired with all these great players, that's got to mean something. And, and I think that's going to weigh a lot on, on Judge because Judge is going to get better offers from another team. Yankees are not going to be the best offer out there for which I, I could, me and you, I think both agree that that could be that you guarantee the Yankees are not going to have the best offer. Mm, yeah, exactly. I much, totally agree. They're going to have. It'll be interesting what reasons he gives if he leaves. Is it going to be like kind of like a, like an Andy Pettit, does he go back home type of thing? Or is it just flat out, look, they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse, like it's just too much. Or yeah. does he stay with the Yankees? And, and listen, I, lo I love Judge and I hope he stays here, but I'm also going to respect his decision. You know, Cano's I didn't understand because the Yankees were offering him more money per year. They just didn't tack on three more years that he wanted. So he wanted the three extra years at the end of his deal. So he moved to Seattle and he did, you know, nothing for the rest of the judge. Season. The age is different, but it's, judge is a lot like Mookie Betts where looking at it now as a, as a fan, I can say, I hate that he had to leave, but, and I know he got traded. So it's a little different, but he, he set his price and he's a businessman at the end of the day. And, it was, they just paid more. They were willing to pay more prospects and money. And if a team, and you got to respect that. So if, if judge, not that Betts chose money over winning because he got both, but if right. judge can find a better offer and it's a completely better offer, then you can't really fault him for leaving. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Cause yeah. it's, it's going to be very interesting because you guys are winning. He hasn't won it all as a Yankee yet. So that's the other thing. Does that impact the yeah. contract, right? If, if let's say I'm not saying they will, but I'm saying what if they do win the World Series this year and he wins MVP? You know, like what kind of an well, if they even if he does nothing, if they win the World Series this year, that adds on. Right, because if he doesn't... To the contract. Right, because if he doesn't, Yankees are going to say... Yankees are going to use that as a bargain. Yeah, they're going to say, listen, we didn't win anything with you. Like, do you really want it on, on your bio? Like, great player, all these awards, left New York in search of a championship. Yeah. Because that's going to be in the conversation if he leaves and he doesn't win. And I, uh, the argument I hate, and... I hear it on TV, I see it on social media, is that, well, the Yankees can't get rid of him because he means so much to the team and he sells all these jerseys and all that. You know what? It, it, another guy will do that. You know, the Yankees will get somebody else to do that. Whether it's Stanton, whether it's going to be Volpe coming up, Torre, you know, like someone... I get that argument if they... That argument is valid if they replace Aaron Judge's if they replace the hole that Aaron Judge creates with no offense, but like if Tim LaCastro is the starting right fielder next year. Yeah, that's 
not going to happen. It's yeah. No, no. I, we both know that's not going to happen. But if that's what they do, like, you can't do that. If you're going to, I get the argument there. But if they replace Judge, if Judge gets $350 million from the Dodgers and he takes it, and the Yankees say, you know what? Tough, but we're going to take $250 million and invest it in another player. That guy is going to do for the Yankees what Judge could have done. Right. So right. <laughs> it's you never know. It's, I don't get I don't get when when fans say, oh, just give him an empty checkbook. Yeah, that's that just give him a blank check. He'll pay it back in in yeah. with with championships and they're a business. Listen, if he was I'm not, a great comparison, if he was Soto, 23, 24 years old. Yeah, I'll give him 15 years and whatever he wants. Like, and even then, it's not a blank check. There's no, like, no, no, it's just. I'll give him what he wants. You know, right. you're going to get seven, eight, nine years of, you know, prime years out of this guy. Right. Judge, how many more years are you going to get out of him? Apparently, Judge wants $5 million more per year and an extra year or two, right? It's, I believe so, yeah. I know it's definitely he won $5 million every year on top of what they offered. And then a couple extra years. So you're looking at total, that's 35 million and then a couple more years. You're looking at total less than a hundred million that you're away from in two years. And it's not gonna happen. I don't care what he, even if he wins, yeah. if they win the world series. And he wins the MVP for the World Series. I'm not. I'm not saying one way or the other. But they might up the offer total right. money, but they keep the years. Yeah, it, I'm telling you, they're not going to go. Okay, all right, we're wrong. You know, because I think they, their offer was not saying we don't expect him to do this. Like they expect no, their offer was not a middle finger at no, all. No, 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 and and I don't think like they don't think he's going to be a bum. Like they expect. I mean, like you said, the offer was no middle finger. It was. It was a legit offer, but like none of this that's going on right now surprises the Yankees. Right. Like, yeah, we know he could do that. That's why we offered him 30. Right. It's not like they're projecting out saying, well, right. <laughs> once he comes into his own and he fills out, right. It'll take off in his career. No, this is of, totally different. Yeah, this is right now is peak. Yeah. It's a matter of what are those last, yeah, how many peak years we got left and how many. Bad it wasn't. I, I would say that the Yankees' offer was a, a great offer, valid, legit offer. It wasn't an offer he couldn't refuse. No, it wasn't not. like just back up Griggs' truck and both sides. I can get where they're coming from. So, yeah, absolutely, totally. And I that's what I say. I always said I respect both sides. Like I don't hate Judge if he takes the money and you know a huge. Yeah, old. if he goes somewhere else for less money, then you're gonna be like, what the heck. Yeah, if it's if it's even or less, yeah, yeah. That would be, that's a slap in the face. But if he goes for more and a couple more years, or if he really stirs it up, he can come to Fenway. Oof. <laughs> oh, there you go. On that note. <laughs> On that note. Well, <laughs> well, before you go to trivia, I wanted to ask you: Who are you rooting for in the in the home run derby? On uh, the home run derby, I'll go with the kid. I'll, I'll root for Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, that's my guy too. I wanted. I just I don't want to see Alonzo win it again. Yeah, they've got like a crystal chain necklace uh, pendant thing ready for him. 
but come on. Either I would say Rodriguez or Acuna or just for old time's sake, uh, Pujols. I don't I don't think Pujols. I wouldn't mind if Pujols went crazy for a round or two. I, I, I hope he does. I just don't see him doing it because we see how like these young kids firing out. Can you imagine a guy double? I can see him doing it for a round, but he's yeah. not. I hope he gets if he gets through one round, I'll be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. It should be good though. It should be fun. Yeah, no, it's gonna be fun. It, look, if Alonzo wins and he puts on a show, it is what it is. It's cool. But yeah, it's good for baseball. Yeah. Um, the trivia I have is related to number one draft picks in the MLB. Uh, two times since the MLB draft started in 65, the Yankees have picked number one overall. Ooh. 65. It was in the 60s and the early 90s. All right. The early 90s, I think, was Brian Taylor. You got it. Okay. The 60s? Yeah. Uh, Late 60s. Is it a player that I'll know? Yes, he's also famous for being uh, – he's, he's famous for two things, being the number one pick and for being fill-in-the-blank as a Yankee. It was the first of many firsts for him. Oh, uh, no. Oh, okay. I'm going to take a guess. Uh, the DH. Uh, Ron Bloomberg? Yeah. Yep. Ah. And just real quick with the Brian Taylor. Overall. Huh. Yeah, number one overall, Ron Bloomberg. Hmm. Okay. And I was in between when the Mets went. The Mets got first overall of the year before and after. But the year that Brian Taylor went number one, uh, Manny Ramirez went 13th. Ooh. From George Washington High School in the Bronx. Was an all-state pitcher, outfielder, and running back. You can do that with every draft, saying, you know, you should have picked this guy, you should have picked that guy. But yeah, that would yeah. have been interesting, right from the Bronx. Okay. But, um, yeah, I, I think Chipper, I think there was a three or four year run where it was Chipper Jones, Griffey, A Rod, Phil Nevin, bring it back to the Yankee, uh, and yeah, then yeah. Brian Taylor was in there. But there are hits and misses all the time, big time. Yeah, well, with the Yankees, there's a lot more misses with their draft picks. I mean, you could look at, um, you know, just the last few years. Well, the guys that are not in their system anymore. You got Blake Rutherford, James Caprillion. He was pretty good. Well, Caprillion was a part that got you Sonny Gray. So he was useful, but then Sonny Gray just didn't do much. Before that, you got Kyle Holder, shortstop, Eric Jayego, uh, then there was Judge going further, Ian Carklin, Ty Hensley, Dante Bichette Jr., um, Cito Culver, guys that didn't even play. Cito Culver was actually, I'm doing, if I, if I haven't said anything, I think I said it when, I, when we first introduced the show. I'm all the way up in Western New York. Cito Culver was, from the area that I live in right now, right out of high school in New York, in Rochester. But he never, he never really panned out big leagues. I don't, I don't think he made the big leagues. Yeah, he never got to the, never got. In the but line. the opposite side of that argument is the Yankees have never really not won for 
prolonged amount of time. So they haven't had to rely on the farm system. Their lowest draft pick in the last, uh, going back to 1994, their last, their, their lowest or highest, whichever way you want to look at it, is, yeah. six, is drafting 16th. And that was in 2015 when they got the brilliant. Um, but their lowest, you'd have to go all the way back to 93 where they picked 13th. And the last time they picked in the top 10 was 92 where they picked sixth. And that was Jeter. And that was the year after uh, we just mentioned Taylor. Yeah. So, yeah. I, look, you say it all the time with prospects. They're just that. They're it's it's fifty fifty. It's a roll of dice. Whatever cliche you want to use, but if, with first round picks, you want obviously you want them to make the big league club. You want them to be a you know a great player. But if not, you my thing is you either want them to contribute to your team or be a trade chip in somebody that can contribute to your team. Right. So either way, you want them adding on to that big league roster somehow. So, and and these kids, like we said before, they're coming up quicker and quicker, progressing through the minor leagues. So, uh, and the draft is almost, It's I think it's like halfway done. They've, they've shortened it to 20 rounds. So for all the fans out there that are wondering why there's so many less draft picks and so many more free agents and whatnot, uh, it's like 600 picks or so, where at one time it was like 60 rounds. Yeah, it was crazy. Which is, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But um, that was episode, we are up to episode 55. So the next time we talk will be almost the end of July and it'll be the second half of the season. Yeah, and we can... On, on the Hall of Fame? Oh, that's right. Yep. Another. The Hall of Fame will be in the books, the ceremony. Uh, that will be on Sunday, the 24th. So it'll be f- before our next episode. Any thought? Well, obviously, Ortiz. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy, obviously. Love Ortiz. I'm just, a little torn because there's going to be that whole, but why didn't Bonds get it? Why didn't Clemens get it? Why did Ortiz get in the first time? And that's about all I would say. And I know there are a lot of Yankee fans that are like, look, it's David Ortiz. I don't want to hear it. Just, just let him have a day <laughs> in between the, yeah, but if he wasn't a nice guy, he would be Barry Bonds and you want to get in. Yeah, but he texts, you know what I mean? It's like, just yeah. give him a day, let him enjoy it, because you, you want to see these players get in and enjoy it while they're relatively young, because some of these guys are getting in, and they're like, you know, 90 or even, God forbid, they passed away. So it's like, I, I'm just, I just want to see Ortiz get in, and be his usual happy self. But I feel good for the old-timers that got into him. Cot, Oliva, anybody that stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, other than Ortiz, the only guy I really I have ever seen play was Cot, and that was very little at the end of his career, and he had an unbelievably long career. Uh, he was a great fielder too. Yeah, what do you have? Uh, Sixteen Gold Gloves. I mean, that's that's unreal for any position. I don't care what position you play. Yep. 
to play that well for that long of a, you know, he was never, he was an ace for a little bit for the first part of his career. First, At the end, when you saw him, wasn't he with the Phillies? Wasn't he like a useful piece out of the bullpen? Phillies, he was with the Yankees for a season. Okay. Uh, St. Louis, I think he was on their championship team. I think he was on the Phillies title team in the early 80s. Uh, maybe, yeah. Steve Carlton. I think he was not the closer, but like in the bullpen. So maybe he missed he missed that one. Okay. Uh, with us, he was with the Yankees in 79. Uh, he was with St. Louis in 81, 82, and 83. So he just had an amazing career. I mean, he played till he was 44 years old. That's that's un, unreal. I mean, 283 career wins. But he owns a lot of the Twins records because I was watching, um, I think it was Saturday. They had like a little ceremony for him, which was kind of cool for him and uh, Oliva. So, um, but listen, it, it's it's great to see him get in because he's been great as, a, as an announcer for, I feel like, since he retired. He's yeah, been- he's had an equally long career as an announcer. He's he just came out with a book, I think, last year or this year. Um, he's been very good too in, in the booth for those years. So. Yeah, he's he's had a. I mean, obviously, he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's had a great career, but on and off the field, he's always he's just great for the game. Yeah, Gil Hodges finally getting in. He's that one guy that. Yep. For the last how many years you've heard it too? Like, oh, he should be in. He's one of those. And that's what I always want to see. Every couple of years, there should be a guy that, you know, there's a everybody, every fan has their list of people that should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. If every couple of years, one of those guys gets in, sooner or later, I mean, baseball, I say baseball does a lot of things wrong, but one of the things they do right is the actual ceremony. Oh. The whole, that weekend, if you've ever gone to Cooperstown, if you haven't, you definitely have to check it out. It's it's worth it. Yeah. Um, it's just that whole town. It's just, I can only imagine what it's like during the Hall of Fame announcement, that type of atmosphere. It is baseball. <laughs> yeah. That town. That town is just, if you love baseball, then that's a, that's definitely should be on your bucket list, without a doubt. I've been there. I was just there last week. I've been there probably seven, eight times now in my life. And if I lived even closer, I'd probably go even more, you know, um, it's just because you don't, you know, you could go through that museum more than once and not see everything, you know. And, it's, and you it's, notice something different every time. Yep. Yeah, and I do. And it's and it's not, and, you know, it's not like the, you know, Museum of Natural History in Manhattan, where it's huge, where you'll never see everything. Right. But, you know, baseball, well, game, good size. That's the great thing about baseball in general is it depends on where the person is coming from, like where the audience, where the crowd, where the fan is coming from. Right. They they notice something different. Like if you go to a game with, you know, your significant other, you're going to notice something different at that game than if you go with your father or with your mother. You're going to notice, like, when you're a kid compared to when you're an old man. You know, you just, and that's a beautiful thing about the museum, the game in general, the atmosphere. It's just, it kind of reflects where you are. So we, we, I think we talked about pretty much everything in this episode. 
I, yeah, I think we covered everything. <laughs> we went from, yeah, and we did everything and I got a little philosophical at the end. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's all right. But it's just, it's beautiful that baseball, it's like, you just notice different things at different times. Yeah, the game Amazing. brings that out for sure. So next week, we'll start talking about um, the second half and we'll get into baseball starting Friday. So we'll be back for episode 56 uh, next week, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, in between, give us a like, give us a listen. Continue the conversation at Talking Rivals. Chris is at CP7NY. I am at Patrick Trotty, TalkingRivals.com, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, until next week, enjoy the ceremony, enjoy the festivities of All-Star Week, and um, we'll see you then. Take care.